1: Oh, happy hour! What could be happier than 23 comics doing jokes for each other and at a radio listening audience? Puppets, kittens, unicorns, porn, maybe? Oh well, stage time makes them happy, and this super happy comedy open mic is open every Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. But you can also listen anytime by downloading the podcast at MeetMe Radio FM Index at
0: podcasts.
1: So come live or listen later or to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio I just fucked that up. Again, what the fuck
2: is wrong with me? Yeah! Right. I got it. You got it. <laughs> it that tragedy.
0: Billy Bob, you ever wanna be funny? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop, Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! $4.99. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't...
2: Hello and welcome to Women's Magazine. Uh, This is Global Val. Happy Friday. You're listening to MutinyRadio.fm. We're here in San Francisco, streaming around the planet on the Internet. Um, So wherever you may be, uh, may this sound... uh carry smoothly into your being, uh, not like a lot of other sounds in, uh, that are uh, going around these days. Uh, it's kind of a tumultuous uh, election season, but uh, we're not focused on that because uh, I have a new motto, um, and, it's, and it's a spin-off of what Michelle Obama said the, the other night at the Democratic National Convention. Uh, she said, when they go low, we go high. I'm saying, when they go dark, we go light welcome to women's magazine it is Friday July 29th uh, 2016 and uh, today I'm going to be talking to Charlie Toledo and she is um, she is the director of Cesco intertribal council up in napa but she's also a chair of the women's intercultural network as well as the napa county chair for the california women's action agenda so i'll be back in just a couple minutes and we'll be talking about the upcoming women's equality day on august 27th in san francisco and in los angeles thanks for joining us Welcome back. Thank you for listening to MutinyRadio.fm. I'm Global Val, and you're listening to Women's Magazine here. We're, I'm uh, doing this show every Friday from 2 to 3 p.m., and uh, today my guest is uh, Charlie Toledo. Toledo? Toledo. 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 Um, and she's the director of the Suscall Intertribal Council, and we're going to be talking today about the Women's Equality Day celebration that's coming up. Um, it's, it's an event... Uh, celebrated by the Women's Intercultural Network, WIN, and there's going to be two events happening on August 27th, uh, one of them right here in San Francisco. It's an evening affair, and it's going to be at the African American Art and Culture Complex. Um, But I'm I'm very happy, very pleased to have uh, Charlie Toledo here, uh, all the way down, all the way from Napa. So thank you for making the the uh, the journey across the the bay and the bridge and okay. <laughs> the city. You
1: know, all those things. I'm glad to be here with you, Val. Thank you so much for inviting me and for inviting WIN, Women's Intercultural Network. Um, we are always working for human rights for women and children. And just like we were discussing earlier, it's always kind of a no brainer to think how come this isn't ratified and this isn't normalized yet? So where do you want to start? It's a heady topic that we're going to try to make light and funny and a few other things.
2: Right, right. We're going to bring bring, – we're shedding some light on the situation. So let's talk about Women's Equality Day um, just to – because that's that's a big event coming up August 27th. Um, it's a celebration and conversations with WIN, the Women's Intercultural Network, um, with these twin uh, CEDAW cities, and we're going to talk about CEDAW, Get into that a little bit more, uh, more little more details with that later. That's the uh, Convention on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women, an international treaty that was signed in 1969. Right, right,
1: a long time ago, and the United States is the only country aside from. From, you know, Rwanda or something that has not ratified it from 1969. So there's a lot of women activists uh, that are in their 90s now that have actually spent their whole lives, you know, going to Washington, D.C., traveling across the country, trying to get delegates to, to ratify that treaty. And what happened then in 1995 was the Fourth Women's International Women's Conference, uh, sponsored by the UN, and this was in Beijing and Wairo in 1995. And what we did at that conference to kind of again activate uh, the, you know, elimination of discrimination against women, we defined what human rights for women and children. And and with Beijing in 95, we. We added women and children, human rights for women and children, and we had 12 points that del- delineated that. And when you're at an international conference, it's pretty chaotic, you can imagine. And there was 30,000 women from around the world wow. gathered for nine days. So it was a very exciting. I happened, I was lucky enough to be there, and Marilyn Fowler, who's the director of, of uh, WIn, was there also. And my organization, Inner Tribal Council, we had reactivated in '92. And I was realizing that some of the problems that Native Americans face in this country, and Bear Lincoln actually was one of the motivating factors, that the situations of how Native people, especially back in the early 90s that we're talking about, was still very, very difficult and very at risk. And I realized that we were going to have to go into the international community to get help, that the United States government still has, none of the presidents since then, have taken away the laws that exist that, you know, created that Native people could be rounded up and you know put onto reservations that used to be called concentration camps and then after world war ii that wasn't a nice word didn't have good connotation so they changed it to reservation but up until um, i'm trying to think i think it was 1975 uh native people would be arrested if they left the reservation up to the 40s and 50s they would be killed if they tried to lose leave the reservation so anyway so then I went to that conference looking for human rights and so it was a wonderful exciting it was like being like I said it was like being in the future we went into this wonderful future where there was all these really intelligent women from all over the country and we really were working in small groups I ended up being you know swept away in the tide there were all these ocean tides very chaotic and and I got involved with a thousand And other women that were focused on human rights for indigenous people. And out of that conference, um, what was created, because indigenous people have never had representation at the UN. It's the developed nations governments, not the uh, indigenous people. Right. So after that conference, uh, it took a long time. It wasn't until 2005, so it was almost 10 years. But uh, now there's committees, that indigenous committees that are permanent that can advise the UN. And so what we did.
2: Yeah, I, I was just going to say, um, wasn't it just last summer? That the UN met here in San Francisco, and they had to sign the Indigenous Peoples Charter.
1: Yes, and that was an outgrowth of that in 1995. They uh, wanted to have a charter specific to North and South America. I think from North America, I told you there was 1,000 women that were a small part of the 30,000 women that were gathered. So places like Africa and the Philippines and Papua New Guinea, those people were, they're such a large part of the population in their own countries, they didn't go to the Indigenous Tent, but they they were representing their own governments. But we came up, like I said, with this whole indigenous platform. And then North and South America wanted uh, something more specific to this Western Hemisphere, so they created uh, uh, indigenous rights for the basically for North and South America, which is a little different, a little bit more delineated. Um, because here, especially in North America, indigenous people have no voice. We're a huge minority in the United States. Native Americans are. of the population, 1.2. So it's really hard to do anything politically. But out of that UN, you know, 1995 conference, um, you know, it, it it delineated more than CEDAW what is that, what does that mean, human rights, or to, you know, eliminate discrimination. What did that mean? You can think of, though those words are almost like outdated. Nobody talks about discrimination anymore. The words are a little harsher. But really what it comes down to is having access to the power systems, to human rights. And human rights got broken down in 95, and that became the, the big benchmark for what are human rights and it's access to health care access to education access to safety within the home and on the streets access to uh, clean water access to food clean air you know the environment is one uh, aspect of it and unfortunately uh, the United States didn't sign that treaty either that was a a treaty that protected and guaranteed human rights for women and children and every country most of them China signed that treaty I think just as I think within a week after the 1995 conference in October, I think by January, or December they signed it, uh, and many of the countries. Australia has been a big supporter, and so every year, at the Women's Commission, they once a year they revisit because the UN has kind of like topics. Right. So a week out of every year they'll focus on certain things. So once a year in January, February, some to place in there, there'll be a week where they focus again on these issues that we're talking about. And so people try to strategize, how can we get this done? So what had happened when we came back in 95, here in the Bay Area, I was asked to do a blessing. And I said, you know, and everybody was very disoriented because it was such an exciting, just an unbelievable experience. It's hard to describe, but it was just really euphoric and wonderful. And uh, what I said to everybody is, you know, we saw a world that doesn't exist yet. But we were so, you know, it was like being swept away to this beautiful island. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you're back here in the (laughs) present. And I said, we're so disoriented because we don't know how to get to this impossible island. And I said, we just take one step at a time. And if you don't succeed, then step back and take a smaller step. And so collectively, it turns out that all the women leaders, because we're talking about leaders, these weren't lay people, but everybody leaders in their communities at some level, mostly pretty high level uh, leaders. So a year later, there was a convening because the United States did not sign that treaty. And after a year, they didn't sign. Of course, we thought they would, you know, way before now. They still haven't.
2: Right. It would, you would think, and as we were kind of touching upon uh, before we went on the air, you would think that, that so many of these issues, these fundamental, uh, you know, issues about having equality and protection for women, women and children, would would uh, wouldn't... Face so much opposition.
1: No, and then and then people ask me all the time why, and it just shows the misogyny that is so rampant in this country. The United States is the only developed nation that has not signed either treaty, and when it comes up, it becomes really violent. And so you realize that that whole hating women is really—it's almost like a religion here. You know, we project it onto other religions, but really here in the United States, the United States government, those old white boys boy—they got a handle on that one. They hate women and they don't seem to want to protect even their own children and that's kind of you know too bad but we, we were we've been strategizing so what kawa california action or california women's agenda was a strategy uh, a year later to think, okay, well, we can't get the United States and the conservative South and the conservative Midwest and California is sure liberal. We'll get California to ratify the treaty. And that's what KaWA is. The California Women's Agenda was to take those 12 points of human rights for women and children and get the state to ratify it. And that didn't happen. And so then we strategized, okay, well, let's get the counties. And we went through AAUW, Amnesty International, other organizations to implement that into their charters for that year. So we're talking 1997. And that didn't work. So Crescente Damaraj was living here in San Francisco and she was still thinking of, okay, a smaller step. Well, I think San Francisco should sign this charter. And people, and, you know, she was involved in international law in, in New York City with the Attorney General, but she lived here in San Francisco. And everybody said, a city cannot sign an international treaty. And she said, well, we'll just see about that. So, of course, our, bra- our mayor at that time, we're talking 98 at this point, 99, someplace in there, um, met Willie Brown was the mayor. And he signed the treaty. The first time Krishante asked. He knew her personally. He knew Marilyn Fowler. He said, sure, I'll sign that treaty. Who wouldn't want to guarantee human rights for women and children?
2: And so which treaty was that? Was that um, so, the Beijing
1: Treaty? The
2: Beijing Treaty.
1: Yeah, and CEDAW. See, CEDAW and Beijing are really, one is an outgrowth of the other, so you can't really talk about one without the other. Right. The Beijing Treaty was a, a further delineation 20 years later, 25 years later, kind of defining what are really human rights. And it's not just the elimination of discrimination but actually protecting and allowing women and children to thrive you know which is who doesn't want that obviously a lot of people but Willie Brown signed it, which was very exciting. And not only did he sign it, but he he put money behind it. So there is the Commission on the Status of Women here in San Francisco. Yes. And so they implemented that. It's been 10 years now, and that's a full-time. I think there's a a full-time person, director, uh, Emily Morase, and then there's two. She has two assistants. She's always had two assistants. She has other agencies to interface with, and she just started implementing what would uh, allow women to be safe. You know, little things like women are the ones that use those little curbs. You know, they're usually the ones pushing wheelchairs or strollers. So then that's a women's rights issue for safety and health. Uh, so all this, all the curbs got their little corners slashed and you can roll you know a lot of people use a skateboard but you know if you're in a wheelchair or pushing a stroller you've got those flattened corners pretty much all over the city so that was one of the projects and then making sure that women have access to education at equal levels um, that they have safety within their home which of course is a huge issue unfortunately the most dangerous place for a woman to this day is her own home that's where most women are beaten and murdered Is in their home by somebody they love and know. Right. So that's a. So you know that whole domestic violence thing is a is part of uh, human rights, and so there's a lot of money in San Francisco funding that and trying to resolve that. Homelessness, of course, would be another issue, and so they've been working on that for ten years, and so what happened recently just again strategizing Women's Intercultural Network and I'm the current chair I was the chair for about seven years and then I got involved in my own regional projects in Napa and then I got tricked back into being the chair and that's because we have this exciting new strategy that we're coming up Cities for CEDAW and when... Willie Brown signed that treaty. Other cities spontaneously around the United States started saying, well, we want to sign that treaty too. So uh, Krishante has just moved to New York City this last year, and she's helping through the Attorney General's office to make that campaign go national. And so because we have the Cities for City campaign, which we just got last year, and that's through the U.N., it's a, a U.N.-sanctioned uh, program. Um Marilyn Fowler was able to go to Geneva when the cities for CEDA, the, or not cities, but the countries, <laughs> the other countries, you know, the whole country did it. They meet annually to talk about barriers and progress to, to, you know, implementing those actions. And they found when they were looking that us here were still scrambling for these little crumbs. And what had happened and what has occurred in San Francisco has actually become an international model because those countries that ratified the treaties back in 69 and then again in 95, they haven't really implemented it. And that's something that I say all the time. You know, if you have this esoteric treaty, you know, way up here in the ethers, really the goal is to get it to the ground. Right.
2: You need to be, you know, walk walk the talk. Or... It
1: has to be actualized on the ground. And that's why I actually disengaged for a while. I mean, I've always been engaged with Wynn, but as far as being the chairperson or in a leadership position, because I really wanted to bring it to the ground in Napa County. And Napa County is adjacent to San Francisco, but it might as well be on another planet, really. It's very different lifestyle, very conservative community, and the misogyny, it seems like the more affluent the communities in the United States, the more misogynist they are. The more they really try to barricade women from um, equal access to healthcare and right. education we, and jobs and
2: we see that those conservative or traditional and conservative uh, roles uh, that women are uh, kind of expected to play in in life and the family and society um kind of play out we're seeing it play out on the national stage right now are oh, we not yeah.
1: it's very scary isn't it i just i can't believe it yeah. i really i'm amazed
2: yeah <laughs> it's been some really atrocious um you know rhetoric and you know but um someone was all was, i was having a conversation with someone recently and she said to me she said you know what you know all this ugliness that we're hearing I'm glad it's coming to light because a lot of this, obviously, we we see it play out in in society in a a variety of ways, talking about domestic violence happening at home. Um, You know, a lot of these this type of uh, rhetoric and and belief systems are happening and they they live in the hearts of lots and lots of people, Um, but they don't always Get express. to get yeah. to express it. Right. And, and they attack political correctness. You know, it's like, well, I believe political correctness is about being, you know, respectful and polite, you know, right. and, and just to, you know, it doesn't doesn't mean you have to, like, get behind everybody's ideas, um, but just having some sort of civil discourse. Um, but but the friend of mine I was talking to said, you know, it's just so ugly, but I'm glad it's coming to light so we can just look at it. And it's like hanging out dirty laundry. Like, let's well, let let us it fly. I always talk fly. about
1: it like a wound. And I was on a panel recently, which was very unusual for Napa. They had a panel discussion on the history of racism in Napa County. And I was one of the panelists. And at the end of a very enlightening discussion <laughs> with, you know, the predominantly Anglo uh, affluent people in the audience, somebody had asked Asked the question, what do you think about the current election and what's going on? And the other panelists didn't want to address it. And I said, oh, I can talk to that. Uh, that this is a, a place that intelligent, compassionate people really didn't know existed this all this negativity and so it's revealed itself and it's important for it to be revealed because it's an illness and I always think it's like pus you know if you have a wound and somebody wants to put a band-aid on it you can't put the bun- band-aid until the pus is drained. and I have to tell you I thought 20 years ago we were past the pus stage but oh we are just getting to it
2: yeah who knew I who knew? I, I yeah. mean I've seen that even with the, with the, uh, the, the, the rampant um like racism that's, right. that had a, it's such like a, like a broad resurgence. <laughs> I mean, obviously not in everybody, but like, I feel like I grew up in a, a world where those those types of ideas were starting to fall away because people realized that it was wrong to to uh you know to hate people (laughs) i mean
1: it was rude if nothing else (laughs) but i yeah we definitely had no idea to the depth of it and i've always known this because i've been uh you know a human rights activist and a political activist since I was about 15, 16, and then because I'm from a minority community and seeing you know, how my own family is affected, I'm rather light skinned, but my father and half, for whatever reason, my mother was very light skinned, my dad was dark skinned, so half of my siblings was ten of us, five are very dark skinned with really black Dark hair, and then the other five are light skin. So I didn't get the prejudice, but I certainly saw it against my father and my brothers and darker sisters. But you know, if you're an intelligent person, you see it in any. And so I've never been in denial about that. And I think that we have those solutions. I had no idea how attached people get to what they're used to. And I've heard people and seen people say, "Well, you know, we want to, you know, we want to do this." And and really, it's rude. And I think when we lose our manners you know where's miss manners when we need her <laughs> right. because a lot of it is just about uh beyond compassion it's just about politeness and people really want to um to be out of control a little bit. But like I was saying, that in the Native traditions, we always say, and this elder always used to say that to me, especially when things would be going bad. And unfortunately, in our community, when things are going bad, that means somebody's getting killed. Uh, it's not a lightweight, uh, going bad kind of thing. And when I was starting Susco Council in 1992, we had to deal on a pretty regular basis with the police. And the local police started going after my children. and. Uh, All those kinds of things, and then unfortunately people were being killed. Like, but what's different now is now people know about it. Back in the early '90s, people did not know that that was occurring. It was, you know, because it was kind of isolated, and so I think that is good that people know about what's happening. I think for the black people, you know, what happened, what's happened with the police and the, you know, black population, that's not new. It's always been right. And what's different is that now we are seeing it because of social media you know the ACLU has apps that you can have on your cell phone that if you film something you can transfer it immediately so if somebody breaks your you know your phone it still is transferred and that kind of documentation was not occurring but the incidences were still were they but that was a norm right especially back in the 70s and 80s the 90s was still very difficult but um, so in a lot of ways we have progressed.
2: Well, oh, well, oh, sorry about that. No,
1: and, and and at least we have language to talk about it, and I think uh, you know now a woman has been nominated, and and it's giving, it's having, it's providing the opportunity for the society to release this terrible shadow.
2: Yeah, and and when you were talking about it like a like a wound, right? Right. It's like if you get cut, and uh, you you. you what you really need to do is you need to clean it out before you dress it. And, uh, that's, that's the painful part. And I think we're seeing that pain, Play out right now, um, and it's it's kind of heavy for a lot of folks.
1: It is, I think, especially people that didn't know that they were cut. Right, right. And I know I've been I've been saying since I think since the 70s, really. You know, I was a little child, a flower child. That's how I came to San Francisco in the early 60s, late 60s, and I just thought the world was going to change back then. You know, that that we saw in our peers a lot of breakdown of the racial and economic. Uh, uh Barrett's, that it existed in the 50s was very conservative and the you know the culture was very separated up and then the 60s it seemed like we all kind of blended together and i thought ah we're you know here we so, go here we go the <laughs> magic is upon us uh but i still believe that and even though it's hard to see and i think especially again for compassionate intelligent people this is a difficult phase but because we do understand it as healers as as earth healers that this ugliness has to be drained out it has to find expression it has to find some kind of direction and so i'm always like watching things like well how would this energy be used in a positive way yeah and the only way I can imagine right now is theater. <laughs> uh, <laughs> theater, <laughs>
2: theater is a good idea. It's a nice way to play out. Um, and again, you're listening to Women's Magazine here at Mutiny Radio. FM, talking to Charlie Toledo. She is the director of the Susquehanna Intertribal Council, but also a chair of WIN, the Women's Intercultural Network, um, because uh, coming up August 27th is the Women's Equality Day, and um, it's 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 being called a celebration. Um, I mean, we've been talking a lot about these uh, <laughs> these uh, problems and, and things that we've been trying 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 to overcome in very in a myriad of ways. What are some of the things that this Women's Equality Day? is going to be celebrating.
1: Well, we're celebrating the Cities for CEDAW campaign. That's our kickoff. And we've used that, just like the UN uses the commission on the status of the women in January, you know, late, Feb- early February. It kind of varies a little bit. Then we use the, you know, locally, we being the California contingent of the women's human rights movement have used the women's equality day as our kind of focus day and that's when we make reports from the counties all the counties report how much we've advanced because just like amnesty international and i don't know if you know about esoteric energetic work but just when you look at something it starts to change and the way the un works that most people do not realize is it works on uh, local organizations on the ground Assessing a problem, identifying a problem, assessing it, giving language to it, and then creating markers for how it would change. How can you tell it's getting better? Mm -hmm. So you create five markers or 12 markers. And then every year you look back to that. So we use the Women Equality Day to report back from around the state of California how much progress we've made in our communities towards human rights for women and children. And so this is a really big step. It sounds little, but if you've been on the ground the last, whatever, what is that, since 95? I'm not good at math. To 21 years? 21 years. Yeah. Who imagined? We never imagined. I thought, all of us thought two years maybe you know we thought okay nine months you know
2: implement a few things right four or five years
1: and so we've been so this is the strategy you know we've developed a very deep line of strategy that we are we being like I'm 66 Marilyn I won't tell you how old she is but she's older than me and some of our core leaders now are crossing over and so we really are wanting to let the younger generation carry on we didn't imagine I still don't imagine that it's... I believe this is all going to happen in my lifetime. So um, so the city's for CEDAW is a really big thing because the UN has sanctioned it, and that's implementing at city levels just like San Francisco. And what's so exciting about San Francisco, that San Francisco is the national model. San Francisco is the international model for how to implement human rights for women and children because this wonderful city has been doing that for 10 years and no other place in the world is doing
2: that. See San Francisco, we haven't lost it yet. No, we still got <laughs> it. We still got it. And that's such a good reminder. And uh, we've got this list here. Um, so again CEDAW that CEDAW the it's the the UN treaty from 1969 um, that the United States has not signed despite most of the world signing it in 1969, or perhaps twenty twenty or, or twenty Almost years later. In
1: 1969, I think it was like five countries, and that was like we said, Zimbabwe, and the United States, Rwanda, and the United States. You know,
2: right? So, Somalia, something. There's, there's, Slavia, there's it's a pretty sm- Serbia. right? Pretty small population of, of countries.
1: It's less than five.
2: Who have not signed it, including the United States of America, um, the uh, CEDAW, the Convention Mm -hmm. on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women, C-E-D-A-W. And then uh, so just kind of looking at some of the cities across the U.S., that have either passed ordinances or resolutions. Um, we've got um, many in California, not a surprise, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Santa Monica, Long Beach, Daly City, hey, Fog, Fog City right there, West Hollywood, Orange County, Palo Alto, Laguna Woods, Monrovia, um, Richmond, California, but but also the other states in um, Honolulu, Hawaii, um, Miami, Dade County, in Florida. We've got uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Hey, Ohio. Um, you had a lot going on in Ohio last week. Um, cities in Minnesota, Kentucky, Missouri. Uh, we said Florida, Washington D.C. Thank you, uh, New York State, Pennsylvania, Oregon, Alaska, Virginia, Colorado, Massachusetts, um, South Dakota, North Carolina, and the state of Washington. So this, th- I mean, the cities for Ceda movement seems to be um, making a lot of progress and across that's the been country. In the last
1: year, that's what's exciting. That's all been wow. in the last year. Wow. So that's you know again, Marilyn Fowler's the magic maker. She's an, in her. Who knows? I hope she lives to be 200. But at this point, she's, you know, older than me. I'll just say that. Um, and and she's the one who, who, you know, worked with Soon Young, who's the U.N. representative of the Commission on Status Women. So she's the one who actually overlooks the, the U.N., status of women and children so this treaty falls under her and they together brainstormed this let's do CDs for CEDAW nationally and then because Maryland could go to Geneva now it's moved into an international movement and so that's all happened just in the last year and a half.
2: And so let's let's break it down. So so CEDAW was a treaty signed by the U, the United Nations um, and then the Beijing Conference and Treaty was held in 1995 um, but when did WIN, this Women's Intercultural Network, form and what's the their relationship with the un
1: so when women's intercultural network which is was based in san francisco Marilyn's maryland's the director she's just recently could not afford housing anymore so the new housing crunch pushed out this brilliant leader and she just moved down to los angeles but um, it was based in san francisco 1992 was formed the same time the Susco council was and so Marilyn went to the So the Beijing uh, conference, or it was this huge women's conference in Beijing and Wairo. Wairo is a city, kind of like Napa. It was the pretty part of, you know, Beijing is very intense industrial. And we actually spent most of our time. I went to Beijing once. I was in Wairo. Mm -hmm. And that's where all the NGOs, non-governmental organizations. So when, and I'm trying to remember, it's not wellness women, black women, something over in Oakland with... uh, I'm going to forget her name. I'm not. That's where London, oh. Maryland, would be remembering names, but. Um they got consultative status with the UN. So when you have consultative status, that means that you're an NGO. That's the international term for what we call nonprofits. Or now what we're saying is community-based organizations. That's we're using the word community-based. But globally, you say non-governmental organizations. And those are the groups on the ground who do that marking. They identify the problem. They create markers for what the assess the problem, create language for the problem, and then start looking into it. year the NGO NGOs do that. So when you have consultative status with the UN, you can go to the UN once a year or anytime, and file complaints. But generally once a year, because you're looking at a problem. And say we're assessing it like a healthcare. The wound is cut. Okay, you've got the wound. We know as all these indicators. And then right. come uh,
2: back in a few in a few weeks and let's see what right. it's checking or, in on, on things uh, it's ongoing. Really, it's
1: once a year, and yeah. then you're looking to what are the barriers to progress and what are the progress, what are the good steps being made. So that's how the UN works, and how uh, Ban Moon, when he became the I forget what they're called the something directorate chair, some holy name that they're called, um, but he said the UN only works if you are in there and most people don't realize that the UN is based on us people, individual people and small regional organizations that are doing all of the seeing, seeing the problem, assessing the problem, and then reporting the problem, and then uh, trying to create solutions to the problem on a day-to-day basis, but annually reporting. So when Women's Intercultural Network has consultative status to the UN, so all of the individuals or organization like a Tribal that are affiliated, then we also have access to the UN, and we can file our complaints and get global when I went in 1995 that was the first time I was standing up in front of a a UN convening saying that the Native American people within the boundaries of the United States did not have human rights and that was there was a bunch of us doing that yeah and collectively that was the first time that the United States ever had human rights complaints it's not that they didn't have problems, but nobody understood how to complain about it.
2: Right. So you brought that to a group the, of a stick, the, yeah. the global... Uh, Community. conversation.
1: And most people don't realize that Native American people, back in the 95 and 92, they didn't know that Native people were still alive in the United States.
2: Right. Well, so many were just kind of labeled and, and crunched together, like various tribes crunched into these one tribal name and reservations. Right, where and, they couldn't leave. Right. And, then, and if they
1: did leave, they'd be killed or jailed. Right.
2: And it was illegal to practice up until what was it, 78?
1: Well, 92. It was, was '98 90- that the law got past President Carter passed a law but when I the, the reason the police were harassing me in 92 93 95 blah, 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 probably till about 2005 we had pretty severe harassment helicopters following me around my phones were always tapped I was being followed my children were always being followed my adolescent children it was because we were attempting to do ceremony and indigenous ceremony that's what was our national security uh,
2: Concerns,
1: <laughs> Whatever you want to call it anyway. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, we always say we've prevailed. So that so, Wynn has that consultive status. This right. other agency that I'm forgetting, unfortunately, they disbanded about seven years ago. But they, uh, Women for Black um, something, Something Anyway, it was an African-American group. But that was the group that gave all of us, like me, our organization, they gave us an umbrella that gave us consultative status so we could go to those conferences, those U.N. convenings. And that's how uh, Wynn, Maryland, and there's actually a group, it's a growing group from the Bay Area that go to the U.N. once a year to report like what we're saying. I went once, but I'm not like a fast, I'm not a fan of big cities. But fortunately, because Wynn does go... and at these Women's Equality Days, we report our. I report on Napa County human rights, but I also report on the Native Americans within the state of California and on the five markers that we created. And then I report on the progress and the barriers each year.
2: And is this done within. Because you're the Napa County chair of KAWA, the California Women's Agenda. So is that the. The, um,
1: no the vehicles because the I'm the vehicle. director of Sasqualin Tribal <laughs> Council I'm the chair of WIN. Okay. But it was but any affiliation a lot of the women are just affiliated Okay. with WIN. They're, that means they're not necessarily in a leadership position but they're members of women's intercultural network so that gives them access anybody anybody could come to our convenings and that's why this celebration is actually one of those convenings and you can be uh you can present a report and that report will be compiled and presented at the next january to the you know the annual convenings that occur at the un
2: how fantastic um and and that's great because you know Obviously, I think there's a lot of women out there who um, want to be involved or don't really know. Uh, l- like you were saying before, kind of like the, the the process. How does how does one or or how does a community uh, get get to have a say in in the international community's conversation about women or or any other um, you know. Topic of concern. Um, so, the Women's Equality Day celebration, again um, hosted by the Women's Intercultural Network, is going to be taking place in the tw- in Twin City cities uh, here in San Francisco on at the African American Art and Culture Complex. That's at 762 Fulton Street in San Francisco. Um, one of the, Some of the highlights are Elmi Bermejo is the regional uh, representative for the U.S. Secretary of Labor. Tom Perez um, is going to be speaking at the event. Um, and, uh, and you can buy tickets um, for, the, for the event um, if you go to the WIN, the Women's Intercultural Network uh, website. And, again, that's Saturday, August 27th. That's from 4 to 7 p.m. Um, and on the same day, there's going to be a, a complimentary a, a Twin City event um, in Los Angeles as well at the LA84 Foundation. That's at 214. F- 2141 West Adams Boulevard in Los Angeles, um, and there, there's going to have uh, Sun Young yoon the past chair and ex officio of the uh, to the NGO and uh, for the City for Sea Dog campaign. It's going to. I mean, there's. I- I'm looking forward to it.
1: <laughs> That's great. I and mean, of course, anybody can come, and you get the tickets from the website and win Women's Intercultural Network. I think it's org. All of this information that Val is sharing right now is there on the website. The Cities for CEDAW campaign is a big thing because then what we're hoping is that people from around the world, but especially around the United States, will uh, come to understand how they start to get the process of uh, getting their city to ratify this uh, Human Rights for Women and Children treaty.
2: And, and we we have just a few more minutes, but i i 'm wondering if we could kind of quickly state how CDA could be ratified by the United States. Is it purely a congressional it's action
1: congressional right yes yeah and and it gets introduced it 's been introduced a thousand times probably in the last thirty or forty years. I'm not exaggerating.
2: Like the the ERA has been introduced. Yeah, it's
1: the same thing. It gets introduced, and usually it was Jesse Hatch, you know, Orrin Hatch, or whoever that is in the South, which I think he passed. We were just counting the days and the months, but that dude hung in there. Um, But now there's this whole new crop of really conservative... I mean, that's what is so uh, enlightening about what's occurring now is that the people that are out there uh, showing us their teeth... Are young people, young men and, and young women, because women are just as um, assertive about women and children not having human rights, <laughs> which it always sounds funny to me. I feel like I'm making a joke uh, because I, it just seems absurd,
2: right? <laughs> well, well, that's we're, we're working towards this, and obviously you've been working towards this a, a long, long time. time, and 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 I think. Recognizing and acknowledging that there are so many organizations, this big network of organizations um, throughout the state of California, throughout the country, and throughout the world, throughout the world yeah. who are trying to um, guarantee that there's protection for women and children, that there's um, no, that we're trying to get rid of uh, various forms of discrimination and and uh, things that lead to things that are even worse than discrimination and
1: yeah, that women can be safe in their homes, that they can be safe to walk in the street, and our organiz- my organization, Susquehanna Tribal Council based in Napa, I always say that we're working... Uh, to create a world that doesn't exist yet. And if you go to our website, you can see that we've, you know, we purchased 23 acres in 1998 to develop as a ceremonial place that's dedicated to the unity of all life. And so to do that ceremony that was so uh, threatening to the national security, uh, we have the right, a human right, to practice our religion. And so we created a place just dedicated to that, dedicated to the unity of all life. We do ceremony prayer, and we're collecting environmental prototypes and construction prototypes sustainable construction methodologies so we're creating a, a model of what could happen in other communities around the world
2: and the then there's a website for that is the Suscal council that's s-u-s-c-o-l-c-o-u-n-c-i-l Um and I, I was looking at the website and um, it looks like a really beautiful special Piece of of land up there that that uh, so many good people have come together to work on. and
1: Yeah, and that's been a long time too, but that's a, it's grounding because a lot of times I feel like the people that are just political, it's a, such a cerebral movement, and as indigenous people myself, I'm a more physical person, Yeah, and our ceremony is real physical. It's really bound to the earth. It takes the earth, what is possible, the potential of the earth, and links it to the star nations in many different dimensions. And the indigenous wisdom, like we were talking of North and South America, The Western industrial complex has not even begun to touch the wisdom that exists within the, you know, indigenous people. And so there are many sacred places like this around the world. But, you know, it gives people hope around the world to know that in California, in this really conservative community, the oldest inhabited place in North America, that there's 23 acres that's in the proprietorship of the indigenous population, that we purchased it, and that we have, you know, been able to... (laughs) So I better knock on wood, maintain it. Um, And I think it's about moving towards your dream. You can get spun out if you're just going against something or if you get caught up in the fear factor. And it's really important to think, what do I want the world to look like? And then really focus on that more than you focus on anything else.
2: Charlie Toledo, thank you for sharing that wisdom with us here today on women's magazine. Um, I, I, don't see a better place to leave off so that you can continue to think about that, uh, imagining the world that you want to live in and, uh, put all your energy toward it and, uh, see what, what, uh, materializes, um, it's It's been such an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming all the way from Napa to be here at Mutiny Radio here in San Francisco. Um, I'm glad you had some good parking karma. Um, <laughs> and I want to thank you and and the women's Intercultural network um, for for putting on the Women's Equality Day celebration. Again, go to the Win uh, website, uh, Women's Equality Day and is August. 27th. It's an evening affair. Um, you do need to get tickets, so uh, so check on the website. Um, and I will be posting uh, links and and doing that tagging thing from my from my uh, Facebook page, Women's Magazine with Global Val. And uh, again, thank you so much. And remember, just when your aspirations seem outrageous, like changing the world and making it a safe place for everybody, that inspiration is contagious. It is peace and thank you. Mm.